Amen. We are wrapping up our series called I Am He today, uh, which I'm a little sad about that, mostly because of the fact that we have to move on. At the same time, I'm, I'm excited about what the Lord has kind of called us into and where we're headed over the next few weeks in preparation for that uh, conference strong. We felt like we should do a um, a series that leads up to it. And so in preparation for October 18th and 19th, we're going to have a, a series that kind of builds a platform, hopefully for us to kind of launch off of. That's our hope, our expectation. And so we're excited about that. But I'm also a little sad to be moving on from this series, mostly because I think we've just scratched the surface, right? Like, because, uh, you know, we're just skimming the very, the very top. And yet, even in spite of that, I would say that we've been talking about things that are maybe uh, just a little bit deeper than maybe even some of us are used to talking about. We've talked about our God who is perfect in, in wrath and justice, just as he is perfect in grace and in mercy. And a lot of us aren't used to that kind of conversation because it's not the polite dinner conversation that, that often um, uh, we, we jump into when, when we want to kind of talk about who God is. And so... It's something that maybe a lot of us aren't used to talking about. And so even as we're doing that, this is a subject, uh, and I, a, a really a series that could go on for years. We could talk about this for years and years. Who our God has revealed himself to be. Because as we dive into understanding or seeking to understand who our God has revealed himself to be, we will better understand how he has saved us, what he has saved us from what, what our salvation looks like. And this may seem like just um, not uh, rubber, rubber meets the road kind of stuff. I'm telling you right now that the scriptures are really clear. We talked about this on Wednesday night in our deeper Bible study. Um, the scriptures are clear that how we view God and how we view his salvation will either shine light on the rest of our faith or we'll miss it all. Right? So we will see or not see based on how we deal with God who has revealed himself as the one who saves us. And so that's why we're covering this series, I Am He, in order to better understand our salvation. So where we've been so far, uh, we started with, I am he who calls. I am he who calls. So this God who is perfect in justice and judgment and in wrath, but is also the God who said... Mercy triumphs over judgment. He is the God who always calls first. We don't call to him first. He calls to us first. And so he is, I am he who calls. And he's revealed himself in that way. Last week then we talked about, I am he who stands alone. And the fact that our God is the only one who stands in perfection and in holiness and in sinlessness, which means that if we need a mediator, if we need a savior, he's the only one who could be that for us. And so we talked about I am he who stands alone. Today, we're diving into I am he who holds you. I am he who holds you. So if you haven't done it yet, grab your Bible. If you haven't done it yet, grab your phone. Open your phone up to praise.fyi. Go to the message notes. Tap on it there. You'll see all of the scriptures we're going to be covering today kind of laid out in front of you, along with an opportunity for you to take some notes. And at the bottom, there will be some questions and some additional verses for further study. 
Uh, those questions are the questions that we're going to be covering in community groups tonight. So if you want to think through some of those this afternoon, um, hopefully we'll get a more well-rounded view of this whole thing as we go through it in these multiple capacities. Okay, so I am he who holds you. If you grab your Bibles, if you would open them up to Isaiah 43 this morning. Isaiah 43. And Isaiah 43 is a, a perfect chapter for us to dive into as part of this series because Isaiah 43 was written to a people who um, were kind of confused as to who is God and confused on who God is. And so Isaiah is written to this people and there God reveals himself as the God who will save them. Yahweh is salvation is what Isaiah means. It's what Jesus means. It's what Joshua means. Yahweh is salvation. And as he reveals himself there, it's really interesting. If you read a little later in Isaiah, he reveals how he's going to save them. And if you look at their response to it, they're, they're kind of put off in the way that God is going to save them. They're, they're put off at what their salvation might look like. And so God reveals himself very strongly and says, I am he, I'm the one who's going to save you. And so as we know him, we better know our salvation as well. So as we're jumping in this morning, I think the appropriate way for us to start is with some good old-fashioned heresy. You guys up for some good old-fashioned heresy this morning? You guys bring your steak, some burn, burn pile. Okay, here we go. About 15 years ago, I was really struggling. At the time, I was going through a Central Bible College. I was also working in the maintenance department here at Praise Assembly. And one day, while I was here, there was a guy who was helping. His name was Gene Press. Gene Press. He passed away in 2013. Good guy. And that day in particular, I was really dealing with something. And so I said something to him about it. I said, listen, Gene, I'm, I'm really struggling. He goes, what are you struggling with? I said, I'm struggling with the way that we do salvation. He said, what do you mean? I said, I'm struggling with this idea that we can pray this sinner's prayer. And if we pray that prayer, that check mark, we're saved. I'm really struggling with that. That's difficult for me. Because I'm not sure that's what I see in Scripture. And he said, well, you better get that figured out because you're going into ministry. And I said, yes, yes, I am. And yes, yes, I better. Um, and so we prayed together. And, and um, I have to say, I still struggle with it. And let me show you why. You can stay in Isaiah 43, but I want to share with you a few verses. These are great verses that are salvation verses. I want to read them to you. You can turn to them as well if you want, but, but I just want to kind of lay them out for you. Let's start in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Great passage, salvation passage. Here's what it says. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Great passage, right? Like, our salvation is not based on doing everything right, but instead it is based on believing. It is based on faith. It is based on 
a gift from God to us. Great passage for getting that. Love that passage. Let me give you another one. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Again, great passage about the fact that it is only through the cross of Jesus Christ that we can receive salvation, right? And that for people who don't have and haven't accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, they look at the cross and they go, wow, that makes absolutely no sense. But for those of us who our hope is all in the cross, boy, it's the power of salvation. What a great passage that is as well. Let me give you one more. Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Since, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So it's not just that we're, we need salvation from our sins, but we need to be saved from God's wrath. Okay, we've talked about this, but this is a great passage to spell this out for us. These are all great salvation passages. Here's what I want you to pay attention to. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. We have been saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. We are being saved. Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Shall we be saved? We shall be saved. Now, pay attention to that. Because what is this saying about our salvation? It is past. We have been saved. It is present, we are being saved, and it is future, we will be saved. This is hugely important. It might not seem like a big deal to you, but this is hugely important that we get our mind around what in the world does that look like? Because if we get that wrong and we think that salvation is just praying a prayer and then it doesn't matter how we live or what we do, but we've prayed that prayer so we've checkmarked that box and, and then it's like an insurance policy for being saved that we just kind of leave with the Lord, and then when we need it, we come back to it. And I think that if I stand before God on that day, and I just rely on, I have been saved, he will respond to me, yeah, but what about now? Because scripture is clear. And if you haven't done it before, read in the New Testament the different tenses of when it talks about our salvation. Sometimes it talks about it, done deal in the past. Sometimes it is happening right now, and sometimes it is yet to come. I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. And in order to get this, what we need to do is we need to talk about who our God is. And so that's why we're back in Isaiah chapter 43. And so if you skip to those other verses, flip back to Isaiah chapter 43. We're going to start reading in verse 10 again today. So we can understand what in the world does that look like? What does that mean? And, and why is that so vital for us today? Isaiah 43 verse 10, here's what it says. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. Here's why I chose you, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he 
Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. Verse 11, I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Okay, so this is where we were a couple weeks back. We talked about the fact that he has revealed himself, and he has chosen us for that we might know and believe and understand that he is who he has revealed himself to be. Okay? That's where we were a couple weeks back. And he's the only Savior we've got, right? And then last week, uh, I declared and saved and proclaimed. I called my shots. Remember, I called it ahead of time. I told you how I was going to do it. And then I did it exactly how I said I was going to do it. And then I proclaimed it after the fact, just so you wouldn't miss it. I declared and I saved and I proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord And I am God. That's where we stopped last week. And I stopped there because I wanted to hold on verse this this last part for this week. Verse 13, here's what it says. Also henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work and who can turn it back. So here's the problem. When you start talking about the fact that salvation is not just a one-time gig, but it has saved in the present, saved in the future as a part of it, you can start feeling like you're on shaky ground. Because then you wonder, well, what happens if I sin? Or what happens if uh, I sin and then I don't repent in time and I die? Like, what does that look like for me? And how much sin can I get away with before I'm, like, no longer saved? What does that look like for me? And all of a sudden you can feel like you're on really shaky ground. I love the words in the Bible, and I wish we could use some of them more regularly in our daily conversation. The word henceforth would be one of those that I would regularly bust forth with forthwith, henceforth. I would be standing there with my kids and I will say, henceforth there will be no more TV. You know what I'm saying? That's a great word. It is at this moment and every moment that follows. He says, henceforth I am he. So it's not just that I was who I said I was, but I am now and I will forever be the same God. Henceforth, I am he. And he says, and who can deliver from my hand? If I work, who can turn it back? This is beautiful here. Because what he is saying is, well, it's really a power statement. When I was uh, just freshly a teenager, well, I was, I'm the fifth of six kids, okay? And I've told you this before, but it goes three girls and three boys in order, three girls, then three boys, all two years apart. So I'm the fifth of six, and that means my older sister was pretty much moved up out of the house by the time I was old enough to even really grasp what was going on. So for me, I was right in between my two brothers. So that means I was the middle boy. And that is a really unique position to be in. I think it's different than being the middle girl. And maybe I'm wrong, and maybe it's not. 
But for middle boy, it's a unique position because your older brother is stronger than you. Right? He's older, he's bigger, he's stronger. Your younger brother is smaller and weaker than you. And for boys, this is vitally important. <laughs> and how you handle that, I think, speaks volumes about your character. And it spoke really bad volumes about my character um, because when it came to the power structure in my family and an older brother who is stronger than me and a younger brother who is weaker than me, I took full advantage of the weaker than me part, okay? I remember when I first became a teenager, we three boys got together. Uh, for Christmas one year, we wanted to get a really nice gift for the family. My parents, my sisters, us, we wanted to. So we pooled our resources, and for the family, we bought a new video game system. <laughs> I know, we're very generous people, us brothers. Um, and so we got brand new, the original PlayStation. Okay, I know, right? I feel the same way about it. My mom, surprisingly, did not. She was, wait, this is for the family? But we didn't have enough money to buy four controllers. We only had enough money to buy two controllers. Now, shockingly, even though it was for the whole family, after it was all said and done, the three boys were the ones who played it the most. And I remember one time, walking down into the basement. I can still smell the smells of the basement, see the seas of the basement. I, I can feel the basement. I remember looking over at the old CRT square TV with the little PlayStation hooked up to it, and my two brothers were already playing. And I wanted to play. And I can tell you what I didn't do. I didn't go to my older, stronger, bigger brother and try to rip the controller out of his hand, because that doesn't work. I went to the younger, smaller, weaker brother, and I took his wrist with one hand, and I grabbed the controller and ripped it out. Why? Because I'm stronger than he is. And this passage is a power passage. This is saying, no one takes someone from my hands because no one is more powerful. And I know that's the case because Jesus actually says something very similar in John chapter 10, verse 28. I'm just going to read it real quick, and then we're going to be headed back. Here's what it says. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. This is a power passage to say you cannot take someone from out of God's hands. Okay? So here's why this is important. Because once we're in his hands, the enemy cannot take us away. So are you ready for a little more heresy? Just, just if you're, well, A.G. heresy. As long as there's nobody here who can take my papers away, I should be fine. You ready for a little AG heresy? 
That brings me to the question. Can you lose your salvation? And I say, absolutely not. You cannot lose your salvation. But you can leave it. Revelation chapter 2 verse 4 says very clearly, you have left your first love. You have walked away from it. Your salvation is in God's hands. You are in God's hand. Nobody can snatch you out. But friend, you can walk away from him. You can't lose it like you would lose your car keys. But you can leave it at any point. Why? Because God loves you enough to give you free will. So, for those of us who would say, check mark, I prayed a prayer one time. I think there's a, another question you need to ask yourself. Is it just, I have been saved? Or is it also, I am being saved and I will be saved. Let me give you one more passage I want to read today. And this is, if you're still in Isaiah chapter 43, you can flip a couple pages to the right to Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46, we're going to start reading in, in verse 1 today. Bell bows down. Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop. They bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. So to the people of God who are in captivity in Babylon comes this prophetic word from Isaiah. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops. Bell was the Babylonian god. He's also known as Marduk. And when I say he was the Babylonian god, he was the patron god of the city of Babylon. Nebo was his son. He was the, the god of wisdom, Nebo. But he was the patron god of, I guess you could call it a suburb, a smaller city outside of Babylon called Borsippa. And every year, they would take Nebo's statue and they would lower it onto a cart with ropes, lay him flat, and they would cart him to Babylon where they would also take Bel and put him on a cart. And they would drive this cart all through the streets of Babylon. They would do it at the first of the year. It was kind of like a New Year's thing, a New Year's celebration. And they would drive all the way around the city. And as they came to the end of this long procession, after that was all done, Nebo would, they said, write on the tables of destiny... What would happen that year in Babylon? Every year, they would take this idol and they'd lower it on a cart. Here's what God says about that. 
That is the dumbest thing I have ever heard of in my life. Here's what he says. Bell bows down. Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. See these poor animals that are pulling around. This, and the bigger the God, the heavier it is. And these poor beasts that are carrying it around are weary. And he says, that is so dumb. Because they stoop, they bow down together, and they cannot save the burden. They themselves go into captivity. He says, listen to me. Verse 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob. All the remnant of the house of Israel. Who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear, I will carry, and I will save. Isn't that the difference between our God and every other. Because every other faith, if you perform just right in Islam, you'll be blessed. And our God does not say, carry me around, bear this burden. He says, I carry you. I bear you. In fact, look at the language that is used there. Like, do you hear the relational aspect of what is happening here? Before you were born, who have been born by me from before your birth, I carried you from the womb. And even to your old age, I am he. And to your gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear, I will carry, and I will save. This is very relational. It's very much about the manner in which we are carried. Because we talk about the God who holds you. Sometimes we can get the wrong impression of that. We hear that God holds us, right? And the way we can look at that is, well, like, like when I go to the store... And for whatever reason, I decide to pay with cash, which I hate doing. I know Dave Ramsey loves it. I hate it. Because I'll buy something for 98 cents, and I'll give them a dollar, and they'll give me two pennies back. And maybe when you were younger, two pennies would buy a Coke. It doesn't buy anything anymore. Like, what do you do with the two pennies? And they're sitting there in your hand, and you got to make a decision. What am I going to do with the pennies? Like, there's two pennies, and you got a choice. You could take them and drop them in your pocket or throw them away. I mean, like, I guess you could drop them in the little box that's on the register to save the dolphins in Antarctica. I don't know. Like, <laughs> And I think sometimes when we talk about our God who holds us, 
That's the impression we get. Like, he's just like, well, what am I going to do with this one? Or even it's just about his power. But when I read the type of carrying that he does, it's not that at all. It's more of Friday morning. It's a beautiful day on Friday. So I decided I was going to spend my time in prayer outside. Oh, it's such a gorgeous day. Tomorrow is fall, so it's going to drop to the 70s. I know it. It has to because it's fall. But on Friday, it was beautiful out. So I was going to go and spend some time in the hammock and just pray to the Lord. And it's getting ready to go out, and out comes my son. And he tells us that his stomach is hurting. Really, he just needed more fiber. <laughs> the struggle is real. I'm just... Just saying. Because <laughs> my stomach's hurting. So we, we got him some carrots. <laughs> we got him a little thing of carrots. Eat the carrots. You'll be good. <laughs> it's not really rocket science. I mean, there's a... Anyways, okay. <laughs> so he goes, Daddy, can I come outside with you? And I said, absolutely. So he's holding his little carrots in his hand. And I picked him up. Because I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to do that for, right? Like, he's going to get older, and this is, this is precious, right? Like, this is, this is something that I'm not always going to have. But as I held him, I held him close to my chest. And I carried him out to the hammock, and then as he was holding his carrots, I was carrying him. And I carried him out there, and I put him in the hammock, and we sat there and we talked about the Lord together and our God who has created all of this. We talked about the beautiful creation and Jesus and what he had done for me. It's beautiful, incredible, like something that you can't manufacture. Did you know that Isaiah 40 verse 11 very clearly says how God carries you? It says he carries you close to his heart. He carries you close to his chest. It is not a holding us in his hands as if, what am I going to do with this? It is a holding in his hands as one who loves and desires relationship. See, the problem is, when we try to reduce it to a prayer, I think we are focusing too much on the legal side of it and not enough on the relational side of it. I think we are focusing too much on what God has saved us from, sin, wrath, and not what God has saved us to which is a relationship with him. He has saved us to something. So on Friday, the temperature dropped about 15 degrees between Thursday and Friday. Friday night, I officiated a wedding. 
sweet couple. Anytime I officiate a wedding, Friday or Saturday, you can pretty much ensure that I'm going to use some sort of wedding language in my sermon on Sunday because it's just such a beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ accomplished for us. And, and all through Scripture, we are the bride of Christ. Jesus is our bridegroom, right? Like you can see that very clearly in Scripture. But when it talks about that, it's talking about it in a, in a way that we're not used to because the, the wedding language that is used is the wedding language from the first century Jewish people where they would be married and yet really they officiate the wedding or they, they have the wedding, it's official, but really they're just betrothed. So they would have this wedding moment, and it would be official, they would be married, but really it was a betrothal. And then for a period of a year or maybe two years, they would be preparing themselves, getting ready, making sure things are in order. And then after it was all said and done, they would really celebrate the wedding. The bridegroom would return, they would re celebrate the wedding, and it would, they would consummate the wedding as well. So you could say that during that time, somebody who was married has been married, is being married, and will be married. This is very clearly relational language. And when we think of our salvation, when we just reduce it to like what he has saved us from, then it's like my prayer is signing on the dotted line and God's my insurance agent who is holding my policy. And I'm saved from that. And what we do is we reduce him to an insurance agent. Or maybe, maybe we look at it like if I do X, Y, Z, then I'll be set free and we turn God into a parole officer. But that's not at all the imagery that God uses. He's not an insurance agent. He's not a parole officer. He's not even your defense attorney. He is your beloved he is your precious prize. He is our supreme treasure. This is the imagery he uses. It is very relational. So when it talks about him carrying us, when it talks about him holding us, it is about the fact that he has saved us to a relationship with him. And so if you would say to me, I prayed a prayer one time, which I have had people say over and over and over again. I prayed a prayer one time. But they are not living their life around Jesus Christ. I would question whether you are saved. If you could only say, I have been saved, you're missing, I am being saved, and I will be saved. There is so much more to it. And so don't re reduce it to just a prayer. And now I am convinced that it is irresponsible to just pray a prayer without understanding what it actually looks like. That it is being saved and will be saved. And the fact that in all of it, it is our God who is carrying us. 
So it's not something that causes fear because there's two ways we can go about it, right? Like there's two ways we could think about it. If, if we're saying that this is the case, that I have been saved and I am being saved and I will be saved, we could think, okay, God, but what if I lose that? What if it's gone? What if I miss out on it? What if I do something wrong? You're missing the whole point. He is carrying you. No one can snatch you out of his hands. But friends, we also need to hold to Jesus Christ. He holds us. But just like my son whom I hold in my arm, and all he has to do is hold on to the carrots, we have to hold to Jesus Christ. But our God says to us, you don't carry me. I carry you. And this whole series is about this. We can miss out on all of this thinking, okay, now you're talking about a God who is wrathful and a God who is angry. And that scares me. And that's an additional burden for me. If you are carrying God, you have the whole thing wrong. You will wear yourself out. God doesn't need you to carry him. He said he will carry you from before you were born, from the womb to your old age. I am he. And to gray hairs I will carry you. And I will bear. And I will carry. And I will save. Why? Because I'm the one who made you. This is the picture of what salvation is. Because this is who our God is. I am he who holds you. But very specifically, I am he who holds you close to my heart. So don't miss out on that. Don't miss out on I have been saved. And I am being saved. And I will be saved. Because all of it is relational. It is like a bride waiting for her bridegroom. And there will come a day when you will see him and know him unlike anything that you have known before. And guess what? He will carry you to that day as the one who holds you close to his heart. I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning. This series, I think, is so vitally important because as we seek to understand our salvation, we need to understand and know our God. And that's why he chose us. He chose us to know him and believe him and understand that I am he. I am he who calls you. I am he who stands alone. And I am he who holds you. But ultimately... We must hold to Jesus Christ. Now, I, I, I don't tell people, just pray this prayer and you'll be saved. I think that's irresponsible. So instead, I say, we can repent of our sins, receive forgiveness, declare him as Lord, and you will be saved. And this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to do that very thing. And Jesus was really very clear on this point. He said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. 
This is no small thing, and it's not a, something to play around with. This is serious stuff. And I do question sometimes people who say, oh, I prayed a prayer, and yet there's no living around Jesus Christ. There's no relationship with him. There's no fruit. There's nothing that indicates that God is doing something in the midst of a relationship plugged into the vine. Boy, if you want to read a passage that talks about this, read John chapter 15, talking about staying plugged into the vine. Stay plugged into You don't worry about what Satan can do. You just hold to Jesus Christ. But you got to hold to Jesus Christ because he's our only hope. We have no Savior but him. Today I'm going to give you an opportunity to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord. And as I do that, I encourage you to join with me in that you've never done that before, if you're not living it, confess him as Lord. Make him Lord today. Call out to him today because he's calling out to you. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you. I thank you for Jesus Christ, the one and only Savior. I have no Savior but him. And God, you reveal yourself as the God who calls You call, you draw, you bring. And today, God, you would call and draw and bring in this room. I pray for every heart right now that they would hear the power and the calling of the Holy Spirit. Father, speak to each and every one of us. You are the God who carries us. You don't seek for us to carry you. So, Lord, I pray right now you would call draw, and bring to Jesus. I confess you as Lord of my life, Jesus. You're my only hope. You're all I've got. You're it. And so I put my hope fully in Jesus Christ today as the Lord of my life. And I thank you that you don't just save me as an aloof God, but you save and carry me as a God who holds me close to your heart. I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is who he said he is, that he was raised from the grave. I thank you for that. I praise you for that. Father, I pray for all of us in here right now. God, I pray that our vision of you would grow. Oh God, expand our vision of you. Magnify yourself in our eyes, oh God, I pray in order that as we understand you more, we might better understand our salvation more fully. Oh God, may that be the case, I pray, and I thank you for it today. Help us in all of these things. And Lord, as we leave this series behind, I pray that we would always see the one who reveals himself as I am he, in the name of Jesus. Amen.